What's up, guys? Welcome to Red Flags and Red Cards. Uh, this week is going to look a little different. We've kind of done this before. Uh, Josh and I had to record separate uh, on a top five, if you will, for, for this week. Just uh, Schedules just did not line up too well. I, was, I could not find a good time for us to sit down and, and chat about this past weekend's racing and other sports. So here are our top five things from this weekend. Hope you enjoy them. Next week we'll be uh, back together, if you will, again. Uh, to talk about what all goes down at Texas Motor Speedway and um, NHL returning, football, you name it. It'll probably be a little all over the place next week. We'll see. But for now, enjoy this top five with both of us. This is Red Flags and Red Cards, a podcast about racing, soccer, and everything in between. Have you listening along as we go through some of our takeaways from this weekend in action in the NASCAR series, really just focusing on the Cup Series for me personally because I did not get to watch the F1 race, but I got to watch all of the Xfinity race and all of the Cup race. Granted, a large chunk of that was sitting in a Verizon store, um, so the volume was down, but my attention was directed towards the race the whole time in what proved to be a very entertaining race. And so here are my five takeaways. And because, you know, it's a countdown, well, it's not a countdown, it's five takeaways, but I just think things like this always sound better in a countdown. So in no specific order, number five. You have to start with the Chase Elliott-Kevin Harvick battle. I mean, that's the the big talking point of the weekend for everybody, I'm sure. And it's just a beautiful thing to look at, just the, the entertainment factor. This was billed as the best year ever at the beginning of the season. And it's really kind of proving to be fairly true. We've had a lot of different winners, a lot of different excitement. But the one thing that had kind of been lacking was some of those moments of drivers really being angry at each other and fortunately chase and kevin harvick have come along and delivered that for us and so really excited about getting to see that first at bristol and then seeing that unfold again here over the the next cutoff race so it's great to kind of be able to have that be a foundational point of both cutoff races so not only have we had two races with a lot of entertaining factors of kind of the cut line constantly moving who's going to make it who's going to not with Bristol you had the great battle between Almirola and Reddick and Byron and kind of that hanging on all the way to the end along with this Chase and Kevin storyline and then this week the storyline was even raised to another level as Chase and Kevin were because of their confrontations or uh, their run-ins whatever you might want to call it they led to both of them battling each other for a final cutoff spot and ultimately uh, Kevin's day coming to an end but yeah, it was definitely, I mean, as a, a fan of entertainment um, and drama, it was definitely a fun thing to watch unfold. I would, there's there's zero certainty and there's zero doubt, that's it, in everyone's mind that Kevin absolutely took Chase out intentionally, um, decided to get some payback for what he perceived was one that he owed Chase. Um, and it was a really well done payback too. We hit him just well enough 
got him into the wall, really had potential to end his season, end his end his day. So it was from that side of things, well done. Chase then in turn tried to dump Kevin. I mean, you could argue that he had a flat tire and lost it on the banking. But no, he he, he I think he took a run at Harvick and missed. And so just the entertainment there was thrilling. Um, and of course, I would say watching all this unfold, I tend to lean a bit more towards being on the side of Chase. Although I kind of go back and forth. I mean, Harvick missed the corner at Bristol and did cut down his tire, but Chase really pushed the issue, but there's a lap car there. I mean, it was just a racing deal, but then Chase felt he cost him a win. Chase went ahead and cost him, cost Harvick a win. That's kind of a fair trade for Harvick to come back and take out Elliott. I don't think that's quite on the same level, especially since with doing that, that temporarily at least, moved Kevin from being outside of the cut line to inside because what Chase did ultimately didn't cost Kevin from making it to the next round. It just cost him from winning, and I guess, you know, it did cost him five bonus points, which would have been right on the cusp of him him making it or not. But with that, I thought it was... I thought it was a little over the line, but at the same time, Kevin thought he owed Chase one. In Kevin's mind, he did nothing wrong at Bristol. It was just a circumstance that Chase was unfortunate on. Chase then went on to cost him a win and five points. So it's time for him to to repay the favor um, in a way that he sees as costly. And so I get it from both sides of things, and then I get Chase... Obviously, his response, um, I believe that had Chase gotten to Harvick, that he would have punted him. And so, I I don't know. I, I got a lot of joy out of watching Kevin with Elliott right behind him just completely lock up the brakes and hit the wall. It was a hard hit. Um, never want to see a hit that heavy. But, you know, there's there's a lot of people weighing whether or not Chase had an impact. I think Chase absolutely had an impact that Harvick looked up in his mirror, saw Chase coming and was thinking, I need to go. I need to get by these guys. I need to keep some space between myself and Chase largely because he didn't, he was, would have been expecting retaliation. I mean, Chase has proven before that he retaliates. And so he knew he had to keep going. Plus he was fighting for every point he could get. Um, And so just to see him, overshoot that corner or I guess he went in too hard and, and caught the brakes and um, just to see that contact I don't know it, it was great thrill thrilling theater as I like to say so really I thoroughly enjoyed that I think that this is the end of it um, Chase's Chase's line there at the end of wishing him a merry off season and a happy Christmas was just a, a wonderful way to end that uh, Harvick's smile when it was intentional, uh, when asked if it was intentional, was just a perfect happy Harvick moment. So it's kind of this really fun storyline. I hope they continue to race each other hard. I think that this is the end and should be the end of the the wrecking one another game or um, what have you. But uh, thoroughly entertaining and looking forward to see how Kevin, like I said, I don't think there should be any type of Kenseth Lugano situation, but I think that Kevin is going to become like another Ryan Newman to Chase Elliott on the track. Um, And that's, you know, it's within his right to do that and would love to see how this sort of unfolds in this next round. My expectations are that Chase will win one of the next two races and not have to worry about Martinsville, which is where you would be more likely to see kind of a bit more of a payback of Kevin trying to make it hard to pass him potentially or things like that. But um, anyway, that was a, a great storyline to watch. We'll come back to some of the, the discussion with Chase here in a few moments. So that is my number five. 
number four. It's, you know, it's, sorry. Apologies, but I'm going to keep that going. Number four. William Byron shows flashes of the clutch gene. Uh, as a William Byron fan, it was a very nerve-wracking race that unfolded just about the way I expected it to with him not being in the lead when needed and kind of being chasing. And it's just, it is a track where the guy, whoever's in the lead has that with the fresh air. It's just, it's harder to pass the leader at, at these road courses, especially at the Roval. Um, when Byron got the lead, he was able to get out to a two between, he kept his lead between two and four seconds, even when, Reddick was a bit faster and got it down to about a second and a half. Once they got to that, it kind of stabilized and Byron was able to stretch it back out to two seconds. But ultimately a really great run. It was He was all set up to win the race if no cautions came out, which multiple ones did. But um, one of the things that just has really pleased me as a Byron fan over the last year has been to see that he does have these, as I said, flashes of the clutch gene where he had last year at Daytona where he, Jimmy Johnson, and Matt Benedetto were battling for the final two playoff spots. And he came in, there was a good chunk of the race where it looked like he would not be the one to win, but he went on or to, to miss. It looked like he would be the one of the three to miss for a lot of that race. But then he managed to step up, win that race, and to make the playoffs, so you saw that first flash of being able to have these clutch moments. And then again this year, he coming into Bristol, he was 18 points below the cutoff line and needed to have an outstanding day. He hadn't didn't have the fastest car, but he was able to get his way up to third, earn a decent number of stage points, and be that one of those last two cars, I think the last car to make it in on points. And so you've seen these these flashes of it, and then coming into this week where – it's kind of a shame that they were in such a hole because at Vegas, I would argue he had the best car at Vegas. He flew through, the, he started at the back, quickly got up through the field in the first stage. Stage two, he starts by taking the lead, and then that caution came out. Um, and then after the where none of the Hendrick cars pitted, ultimately messing up their day. And after that caution, uh, when the green flag initially flew, Larson ended up getting the lead on the restart, but Byron stayed with him the entire run until. They uh, they had to pit and then ended up, you know, having the bad pit stop, going a lap down, all that stuff, which ultimately compounded with the flat tire late that put him in that hole. Um, Talladega, you know, just caught up in a wreck outside of his doing is it is what it is. And it, next thing you know, he's he's been one of the best drivers all postseason. He has had the best passer rating among any driver in NASCAR over the, the five, now six uh, playoff races and so it's there's all these signs of encouragement and he came in though far so far down in points that he had to win and he basically did everything needed except um within his control he did everything he could to win that race they had the strategy perfect he got out in the lead um, managed to hold the lead led the most laps in the race uh, they worked their pit strategy out where he was coming through the field he was the first car with fresher tires he makes that pass on tyler reddick it looks like it's going to be clean uh, or it was a clean pass, and then Reddick's trying to hold off Larson, and he gets in a little too hot and ends up pushing Byron through the chicane, which ultimately leads to Byron shuffling back to 11th or 12th place. And then even still, with restarting in 12th, he works his way up to 6th before the next caution, works his way up to 3rd place, but by that point, as he said, his tires were just gone, and he couldn't do anything with um, Reddick or, or Larson, who um, weren't having to push their tires through traffic as hard, and so ended up... In third, and then he was just pushing too hard late and ended up ultimately wrecked with 
two laps to go and still finished 11th or something like that. But as a Byron fan, really encouraged by the clutch gene and uh, just really also frustrated a little bit by inconsistencies as will be brought up in point three. Number three. NASCAR's inconsistencies are uh, a point of frustration for so many people. We've expressed it on this podcast numerous times, but there's this, it's, it's just frustrating to see them not call the race the same for everybody. Um, you have this element of you got the cup guys or the playoff guys just kind of seem to operate at a, a different setup or a different, a different way. And so a lot of it was looking at, um, this question of Chase Elliott. So after Chase Elliott has his his wreck, you get um, his cars falling apart, and specifically, you can see the the uh, bumper cover hanging off for multiple laps. It was getting worse and worse. And NASCAR has a history of as soon as they see that black flagging guys. When you black flag them, you really give them three laps to pit. Then you start stop counting the laps, and so you kind of are forcing them to come in and take care of the damage because. Everybody can see this is going to cause a caution. This is going to be a problem. It's debris that's ultimately going to get out on the track. And so, but NASCAR just kind of keeps, I mean, it's not like they could say, oh, we didn't see it because there was literally TV cameras on it for like the five laps leading up to the caution. And so you have this element of where there's, there's ample evidence of times where Rick Ray racing cars or other guys are out there and they're having their bumper covers come off and NASCAR has black flagged those teams and had them come in pit and fix it so that there wouldn't be a debris caution. But all of a sudden it's Chase Elliott. It's not a Rick Ray racing car. It's not, you know, even just a, somebody, an average race during the season. It's Chase Elliott. And they're like, we're going to, there seems to be this allowance of, ah, we're going to let this play out. So, Ultimately, there's this call where NASCAR wants to not have their rules affect the outcome of the race, the outcome of the playoffs, and that's the thought process. But what they ultimately did is they they did it because had that caution not come out, if they run green the rest of the way, Byron ends up as the winner, and somebody's out, probably Chase Elliott. Plus, he has to if he has to pit, he's probably going to another lap down. He was on the edge anyway. Um, even still, the the caution that came out for chase Elliott, the when he he spun out taking after getting the contact with harvick there there's debate too as to whether or not there should have been a caution there because cars spin out all the time um as they said on door bumper clear they came across the radio and they asked the nascar officials they said is there any debris out there and the nascar officials response was i don't know and so it's like that's not you don't throw a caution because you don't know if there's debris out there like you have them look if there's debris there's debris throw the caution but when the response is i don't know and you just gonna ah, we're gonna throw the caution it's extremely frustrating that there seems to be this alternative set of rules by nascar out of and i'm sure if they were asked they say we don't want to affect the outcome of the race but in doing so they affected the outcome of the race um because it allowed ultimately byron would have no one could touch him him and him and larson and um reddick all had about the same speed cars there and he was in the lead he probably would have held on unless of course he made a mistake which you know happens but it's it's those things that are really frustrating to see this lack of consistency from NASCAR, but at the same time they kind of have a point, and this is where there's some of the conflict within me. Of ultimately, it is better for NASCAR for Elliott to still be in the playoffs. It is better for them. You know, they were talking about within the crowd. You can just hear the energy through the crowd each time Elliott gained a spot, working towards getting to 
back into the playoff picture. There's this energy that he got as he was getting closer to Harvick that the fans are drawn in. It is a great story to tell. NBC did a great job keeping track of everything going on. And so ultimately, you want viewership. You want people in the seats. You want people watching on TV. And the way to do that is to have the best drivers in contention, making building up that drama. So it's frustrating from my point of view to see those inconsistencies. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that ultimately there's a lot of positives from it. But that doesn't make it right. And it brings up these questions of... How should it be? And so, I don't know. It's just, it's a very frustrating day. And I mean, I'm a William Byron fan, so obviously I am biased. Um, and But I try not to complain about officiating too much, but it was bad, in my opinion. Really bad. Um, most people seem to agree as well. Number two, uh, Penske's consistency, getting them to the final eight, all three teams. That was impressive throughout this round. Obviously, they had the benefit of doing so well at Talladega with a two, three finish. Um, and ultimately, uh, they did what they needed to do this past week as well with, um, both Lugano and, uh, uh, what's it? Blaney, <laughs> both Lugano and Blaney making the, uh, top 10 Kozlowski having troubles, but still doing what he needed to do to, um, get the, the best finish. They were consistent at Talladega, everything needed to get, the point so that them, despite not having the most speed all year, but despite not being the best, um, having the most wins or anything like that, they are in contention to get at least one driver in the play in the finals. It, it's setting up quite well for them. Um, now of course it does get more tight. You do, are they are going against three Gibbs cars and the two best Hendrick cars, which I think Larson and Hamlin with the way they've been running, they seem to be, pretty much shoe-ins. Elliott's got two great tracks coming up for him. So it's going to be tough. It would not at all be shocking to me to see all three teams get eliminated um, from this round. But it does speak to the consistency of the team, the smartness of the driving amongst especially Kozlowski and Logano, who did not have great cars uh, at are not great drivers at the road course and um, and still were able to have a good bit of success and stay out of trouble and just and keep their wits about them and make it to the final eight. So uh, huge congrats to them. I think it's, it's pretty exciting for, for the sport to have uh, a bit of a, a surprise with Hendrick not having more cars and with all the Penske guys getting in, but still at the end of the day, it comes down to three teams making the final eight. And hopefully that's something that we'll start to see change next year. Hopefully there'll be again to be a bit more parody. Um, but yeah, really impressive job by them. Number one. <laughs> I can't. I can't with that. But, you know, it's me, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, number one, my last takeaway is just the wonderful beauty of the Roval. It is just one of my favorite races to watch throughout the year. Jeff Gluck went on a huge rant about, like, why he dislikes the Roval in the teardown. And I was listening to it just baffled the whole time because I think the Roval has produced some awesome, really good racing. I mean, sure, there's some issues that pop up. But on the whole, it's been pretty solid, consistent racing. There's action all throughout the track. There are plenty of storylines. It creates opportunities for guys to excel and succeed you saw Tyler Reddick and Christopher or Chris Busher both have excellent rides throughout the race and just kind of be able to to be there but at the end of the day there are these moments of drama of these moments of you know guys making mistakes or whatever but really there weren't too too many 
mistakes like that. I mean, a couple guys got caught up in issues created by other people, and it did kind of create some drama. Truex got spun out by um, a a guy making, I believe, his first ever start in the Cup Series. And so those are the types of things you don't want to see. But it just produces a lot of great racing. There's a lot of different strategies unfolding. Um, it did kind of force guys to go to the the limit to to you know be racing really hard on each other. Um, it also creates this this opportunity for mistakes is what kind of makes NASCAR so great. That's the problem with a lot of these 550 packages is it's like it's slot car racing. There's aren't mistakes being made. There aren't wrecks. There aren't opportunities for Kevin Harvick to blow a corner and and wreck. And so um, it's really entertaining. Having been there in person, it's one of the more fun races to watch just because there's you are getting to see so many different things at play, um, so much more of the race within it. And so I just think the Roval has produced nothing but great racing since its inception. Um, really think it is a genius, was a genius move by Marty, um, Marcus Smith, not Marty Smith, Marcus Smith and the guys that, uh, um, with this team. And so I just, I love the race. There's a lot of people complaining about, you know, them racing in a parking lot, but it's, to me, it's just been a wonderful track. Um, I'm thrilled with the racing I saw there looking forward to them racing there again. Glad it's not really going anywhere. And I think, uh, um, it produced the desired effect throughout this, this weekend of a lot of great racing and AJ Allmendinger, of course, winning the Xfinity race, his third straight one there. Um, but it was just thoroughly entertaining. The Xfinity race had an incredible battle between second and fifth for the last 15 laps or so. It was just a lot of, um, great racing to watch. So those are my thoughts from the weekend that was. One other thing to add, the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs in what was a thoroughly enjoying evening for me. Despite the rain delay, even they uh, they took care of business. The defense kept Mahomes in check. Um, it was just a, a real pleasure to watch. Excited to see how the Bills continue. Josh Allen's leap is something that every you know the Bills are two and zero when Josh Allen hurdles somebody, um, <laughs> but. It's really fun watching that team just kind of continue to come into their own. Josh Allen continues to improve each week, um, especially one of the knocks I've had against him, not against him, but one of the things that have been like, this is something that needs to improve, is the uh, his play in bad weather. Historically, he has not been a good, a good quarterback whenever the weather's bad, and he wasn't particularly great playing through a rainstorm this past Sunday, but he was still 15 of 26 for 315 yards. Um, a lot of that is attributed to how bad the Chiefs defense is. But that was just a thoroughly enjoying night to kind of see the Bills uh, being able to beat one of those teams that they just haven't been able to get past. And it starts to give you hope for what the season could be like. I think they're starting to get a stranglehold on the AFC East. I don't see the Patriots being able to make a run. So now it's about who's going to win the AFC. You got the Chiefs are in trouble at two and three. They're not in trouble from missing the playoffs, I don't think, but they are um, in trouble in terms of being able to win the conference. You got the Chargers look really, really good. Um, Baltimore, Lamar Jackson's phenomenal. Um, their team, I don't know if their team is as great, but they're still going to be in contention to, to win it. Um, the AFC East and determining, or AFC, uh, conference championship so it'll be interesting to see who ultimately gets home field advantage between those four teams battling it out all year um the bills have a really easy schedule the rest of the season they're really the only tough game they have left is against tampa bay in like week 14 so they could easily end up with a 
14 and three or 15 and two record by the time the season's done. So that's really exciting. Well, what's up guys? Uh, yeah. So this week, Josh and I, like I said earlier, could not record together, but we do want to give, or we are giving our, uh, as Josh said, our top five of the week, and just like him, this is no, in, this is not in any particular order for me. Um, unfortunately, I was not able to watch the um, the Cup race um, live because of uh, we had a show that day, and it was one of our biggest shows of the year. And um, I was only able to watch I think the last three laps, and then I was getting texts and uh, Twitter updates from various sources about uh the race so that was kind of the way i was able to watch it but uh i was able to watch highlight reels and kind of get you know a take on something so here are my top five takeaways from the weekend these include nascar f1 sorry nascar and f1 number five is just like josh or sorry excuse me number one is just like josh the the chase first harvick stuff um it is great for the sport uh, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's just, as they have once said during the Logano Kenza thing, where it's like very WWE, I just don't believe that. I, it's it's entertaining. That's what this sport is. What all sports are. It's entertainment. And if you just can't handle that, and maybe you just shouldn't be watching. Maybe you just really need to. I don't know. Dude, just go watch horse racing or something. Even that's entertaining. So I don't know what you're looking for. Um, I think what happened was perfect at the Roval. And do I think it will, the feud will continue? I kind of lean 50-50 on it. Um, it might be settled. It very well may not be settled. Uh, I listened to part of the teardown with uh, Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi. And I actually had to turn it off because I was getting very frustrated with with Gluck, really, because uh, he kept referring to the Kenseth Logano thing about a few years back. And as a avid Kenseth fan, uh, I thought what Kenseth did at Martinsville at Logano was justified, even though he wasn't in the playoffs anymore. Uh, I think that really shouldn't have anything to do with it. If uh, So if Harvick wants to get back at Chase uh, you know, at Martinsville... I honestly think it's justified. Am I? Do I lean more chase in this whole thing? Yeah, I do. But uh, for sake of entertainment and sake of just uh, retribution, why can't Harvick go after Chase even though Harvick's no longer in the playoffs? I really don't understand that argument at all. Uh, I mean, I guess I understand it, but I, I don't agree with it. Um, and again, that could be just because I was biased a few years back when Kenseth took out Logano. Uh, because if you don't know, uh, at Kansas, the race before Martinsville, I, can't, I think it was 2016, could be wrong, maybe 2015, um, Logano had already had a win in the bag, and Matt had yet to get a win in that stage of the playoffs, and um, Logano punted Matt out of the way, and therefore costed Matt the uh, a run at the playoffs. The rest of the playoffs, and then the following race at uh, Martinsville, Kenseth took him out for that in retribution. And I, again, probably biased, thought it was justified. So, with that said, will Harvick or should Harvick uh, go after Chase? I think it'd be fun. It would be really fun. Uh, will if if it doesn't happen, will I be upset? No, I won't. Uh, I, Martinsville's gonna have plenty of of chaos and drama already. So. If the Harvick 
chase thing does not happen there. That's it's totally fine. Um, as far as the roval is concerned, though, when Harvick went into turn one and just annihilated the wall with eleven laps to go, uh, did Chase get in his head to cause him to do that? Uh, we won't know. We'll never know officially, but can we speculate? Yeah, and I would say so if you look back at the in-car camera. He's looking in his uh, Harvick's looking in his mirrors a lot uh, approaching turn one, and uh, next thing you know, he's locking up the brakes and hits the wall. Um, but I mean, we'll never know for sure. But it definitely did seem that way that Chase got into his head a little bit, therefore caused Harvick to overdrive the corner and, and therefore uh, wreck his car and be out of the way, race, the waste, and out of the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of num- that's my number one. Um, I really want to see this feud continue. If it doesn't, cool, it's fine. Uh, number two, uh, we are going to two uh, Hendrick Hendrick Happy uh, racetracks. We're going to Texas and Kansas, and I feel like this is going to be fantastic for the Hendrick guys. Uh, they're just they've been really good in these intermediate tracks. Um, you have Larson, who's kind of been good everywhere, as we saw him win at the Roval, and um, but he did struggle at Las Vegas, so that was which was more due to just a uh, strange strategy call so we'll see if that happens or doesn't happen again at either of these tracks and um yeah i just and and chase you know we chase is chase he's, he's a fantastic intermediate racer as well so i really expect them to do well uh pins and pinsky too i mean it's just all all bets are off really i feel like at this point uh so it it won't come as a shock of any of those guys when i think the only shock and i'm sorry kozlowski uh, but I feel like that would be the only shock is if Kislowski was able to pull one off uh, in this in this uh, second to last round um, before or uh, excuse me of the um, excuse me got a random email uh, would be surprised if Kislowski is able to pull off a win here before uh, before Phoenix but we'll see we'll see I have a little bit more faith in the other guys Blaney is Blaney's a sleeper I think. I feel like you could just come out of nowhere and win at either of these um, these two these three tracks. Uh, so we'll see kind of how that unfolds. Um, yeah, I, and I, guys, I'm sorry these are super short on my end. I was barely able to watch anything this this weekend. It was really very busy, um, which is why we had to record separate. Uh, number three, uh, Next Gen had uh, tests at the Roval this weekend, and oh man, those cars look pretty. Good grief, they're just. If you know me, you know I love sports car racing, and that's what these cars remind me of. They just look like uh, just GTLM cars just going around that racetrack, and they're just beautiful. I think they sound great. Uh, they sound different, but I like it. Um, they got the one lug that we talk about all the time on here <laughs> on the on the wheels, which I, I love. Uh, just It just reminds me, I just feel like these, there's like two worlds kind of coming together, and, and I'm here for it. I absolutely love it. Um, I saw some tweets today of some encouraging stuff from uh, Corey LaJoy, how his lap times were as fast as the top uh, top three guys, or top three teams. Um, and if you don't know, Corey LaJoy is with Spire Racing, and they uh, are Spire Motorsports. And, you know, they're not as competitive as, as the big guys. You know, they're kind of middle of the pack kind of team. And to see that he's saying that his times are comparable to top three, I think that is very encouraging, and it definitely levels up the playing field even more. Which is exciting. I think I think we need that. I think we need, uh, you know, teams that you don't expect in the top fifteen really to be up there. I think it's going to make it 
very exciting. Um, now, will the cream rise to the top? Probably, because even though these cars are manufactured essentially by a third party, the teams will find ways to be faster because they're that's what they do. That's what they're good at. They are engineers. They find the, the the fine details to find a little bit of speed. You know, a tenth here, a tenth there. Um, and and I, and that will come through, and and that will show as the as the next season progresses. Um, I don't think we'll see it right away. You know, um, you know the top three, top four teams being up there. But I I think over time, you know, the, they'll find those little nuances. But if they don't, I won't be upset either because uh, I mean we all love a good Cinderella story. So to see Aspire Motorsports, to see you know, a front row or something like that, you know, finish well. It's it's exciting. I mean, we saw it with Michael McDowell when he when he won uh, the Daytona 500 this year. Uh, so I think next year we're, it's just looking so good. I'm I'm so excited for these new cars. Uh, I love I love change with this. Uh, I love um, progressing and just um, just not the same the same thing. Will I be upset that or sad to see these kind of cars go away like what we have right now? A little bit, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I love. Um, like I keep saying, like the the progression of the sport, I think it's good for the sport and not to be stuck, and to just keep moving forward and trying new things. And um, I I feel like you know a new manufacturer might be on the way. I mean, there's always been rumor of it. I feel like it kind of it goes up and down as far as when it's gonna be announced or if it'll ever be announced or or what. Um, so like new you know new car possibly new manufacturers in the coming years I think it's just, it's it's incredibly exciting something to look forward to and yes that's number three number four I will move on to Formula One we uh, we were in Turkey this weekend and uh, as last year if you remember uh, it rained it rained a lot and it was a uh, Turkey was one of those tracks that was added last minute just with the pandemic and. Uh, F1 trying to find uh, countries it could go to that would let them come in and have a race. You know, they were just shuffling around um, trying to find tracks. And one of those tracks was Turkey. And uh, it's a beautiful racetrack, but w- with that quick announcement, Turkey had to scramble and uh, pave this track, you know, like give it fresh pavement, uh, which uh, caused the track to be slick and uh, greasy. It had rained. I believe this time of the year, it's a fairly rainy, gloomy season. Uh, so last year, that's what the whole race was, was just rain, 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 rain. This year was a little different, but the same, but also the same. It rained, and then it would stop, and it would just be kind of a dreary day. But the track, even though the rain stopped, the track would never dry. Uh, it, the track did not drain very well. The water would just kind of hang out on the surface, uh, nor did it dry because it was cold. So you kind of... The worst of both worlds, if you will. So you weren't having dry. You the track wouldn't dry from warm temperatures, nor would it um, drain well. So it just did not work out well. So, so with that said, all all the drivers were having to uh, race on intermediates, but they were wearing out their intermediates very quickly uh, because they're they're trying to ha- find water on the track. You know where that would you know where it would pull up because sometimes there'd be like little parts of the track that were dry but overall it was still very wet so you're getting a lot of wear on the tires if you if you go on instagram twitter any social media you'll see uh there's photos of a, a lot of the guys tires uh one in particular is lewis hamilton's four intermediate tires tires that they had changed uh, and his one pit stop were like 
40% tread, 60% slicks. And, uh, <clears throat> and that just, it just showed that they were really struggling to find, um, you know, a balance really just, you know, it's like, well, we can't go to slicks cause we'll definitely not have any grip, but with these intermediates where it's almost like too much grip, we're going to wear out the tires. And it just, it was just a confusing thing. So the whole race was just this, uh, thing of babying tires. So that excitement of just racing, uh, each other wasn't there. It was more so of survival and can I make it to the end, which, you know, gives it its own drama, its own storyline, but it really wasn't um that fantastic of a race if i'm brutally honest uh it was great to see valtteri getting the podium and red bull lock out uh second and third it's always good to see sergio or not sergio oh, sorry almost said sergio grow wow um perez oh my gosh <laughs> on the podium uh so um yeah that's always exciting to for um for anyone to see is is everyone's uh, rooting for him and and uh so it was great to see you know red bull second and third and and uh <clears throat> lewis finishing fifth and this just kind of tightens up um this leads me into number five which is the lewis versus max battle rages on uh they are separated by only a few points still um and as we go into austin which is going to be fantastic. I really wish I could go, <laughs> but they did sell out and they did uh, at like 360,000 people or something like that. So pretty fantastic, um, which is just going to add to just insanity of, of, um, excuse me, sorry, <laughs> doing internet things. Uh, just the insanity of this season. Uh, it's something that I don't know if we really expected to be this insane. I mean, they're separated by six points. Uh, Max in first, Lewis in second, and um, it just goes into just the this chaos of of the the rest of the, oh excuse me rest of the season. Uh, you know we have uh, Austin, then we have Mexico, then we have Brazil, and then we have uh, I believe it's Qatar, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, I am pulling it up, so I don't I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, we have USA, and then we have Mexico, Brazil, Qatar, yeah, and Saudi Arabia, the new one. Uh, Qatar is new as well to us, and then obviously finish out in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but I, th- I don't see any driver running away with this uh, championship anytime soon, and I think that is what we need. Uh, we do not just need a, you know, the, the season is decided three races before the end of the actual season. Going into the last race is always exciting. As we saw with uh, Alex Palou at um, Long Beach with with IndyCar and obviously with NASCAR, where the final the champion is decided uh, every year at the last race. So I think this is adds to the excitement of the F1 season, and uh, this is going to continue on. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so that's my that's my top five. I guess my honorable mention would be that the NHL has returned. Uh, last night was uh, Tampa Bay versus the um, Penguins, where the Penguins beat Tampa Bay. I believe it was six to two, crazy scoreline. And then you had—I was—I was able to watch the end of the third period. You had uh, Seattle, their very first game uh, as a as an NHL team uh, against Vegas, the Vegas Knights in Vegas. Uh, they did lose the Kraken, did lose to them uh, four to three, I believe it was. Uh, but it was still very exciting to to see a new team, or really like the the, the newest teams. Uh, obviously, that was probably planned. 
obvious to uh to have the two newest teams play each other the first game it was really exciting to see seattle out there seattle kraken what a name out there on the ice um I believe their next game is the preds home opener so it'll be preds versus uh seattle did look into going to that game but alas uh will not be here <laughs> in town shocker um i believe that's correct um sorry yeah we don't really have that many facts on this show as you uh as you may have figured out but um anyway nhl is back and super super pumped about it um yeah so uh those are my top five with an honorable mention All right, so Nick, I got a, a few play on yellow card, red cards for you. Just a couple here that I, I want to hear your thoughts on if you uh, so desire to give those. Um, so I'll throw out a statement or something that happened, and Nick will give it either a play on if he likes it, a yellow card if he's got some conflict about it, or a red card if he does not like it. It's not 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 in his uh, happy place or not a, not a good thing. So first one. Alabama loses to an unranked team for the first time since 2007, snapping a 100-game winning streak. Absolutely love this because I feel like most of us like to see Alabama lose because they've been such a dominating team. You know, unfortunately, we like we like losers. We hate winners, which is just ridiculous to think about. I've talked about it here all the time. But it was just a beautiful win to win the final kick of the game. If you uh, look back in, I think it's ESPN or just somewhere on social media, you'll see a reaction from the kicker's family just freaking out just before the kick and after the kick when they rush the field. Uh, always fun to see wins like that, especially by an unranked team to beat number one team in the country. It's a It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yes, that was a good thought on your red card and or yellow card and or play on. So now we will move on to the second and final one. This weekend in the NFL featured 24 missed field goals and point after attempts. This, once again, is a play on for me. I uh, I just love that uh, the extra points and, and, you know, the... I guess you could say chip shots are no longer there, and they haven't been there for a couple years now since moving the point after attempt is now, a, I believe, a 35-yard kick now. And I just that just adds such a crazy element because it's not a guaranteed seven points when you get a touchdown, and I think that is awesome. And, you know, yeah, these kickers are phenomenal, and they also are human, and we definitely saw that this past weekend. So, yeah, I'm play on for it. I think it just adds so much drama, storyline, you name it, uh, to these games. And it's, it's thrilling to watch. It's so thrilling to watch. It just really keeps you on the edge of your seat. And actually, I am going to throw in a third one. The USA goes 1-1 one and one through their first two matches with a win against Jamaica and a one-nothing loss to Panama. We never want to see USA lose just because, you know, when, when we were qualifying for the last World Cup, we did not qualify for it. Um, when we were trying to qualify, we did not qualify. And that, I feel like a little bit of that trauma is always always there a little bit, kind of festers a little bit. So anytime we lose, it's like, oh, crap, we're going to really mess this up. But, um, you know, it's all right. We do have that one win in the bag, so we have those three points. It would have been nice to have six or even four. But um, I think we'll be okay. Uh, we've got you know a little ways to go for you know until we know who's going into the World Cup. But uh, so I give it a I give it a yellow card for sure because you just don't want to see it happen. But it, it's all good. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Red Flags and Red Cards. Thanks for hanging out with us. Next week, we will be talking all about the drama, the hopeful drama of Texas. And, um, you know, like I said, some NHL stuff, NFL. Who knows what we'll talk about next week? It's always a mixed bag when it comes to this part of the year. I will say I meant to I meant to mention this as another honorable mention but the Braves did move on to the NLCS last night, beating the Brewers 5-4. to four. It was a fantastic game. Um, I, unfortunately, was at a dinner <laughs> while this was happening. But I could see it happening in the background, so I was kind of keeping like half my attention at the dinner table and half my attention on the TV screen. Uh, but Freddie Freeman with the game-winning home run to uh, put the Braves on top in the bottom of the eighth inning and ultimately... Uh, seal their fate to the NLCS, knocking out the Brewers, which a lot of people did not expect. A lot of people expected the Brewers to go on and the Braves to not. So, uh, always nice to prove uh, critics or uh, you know those uh, in Vegas wrong. So, we'll see them uh, go against either the Dodgers or the Giants. So, and and either way, it's going to be a tough NLCS, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, ALCS is Boston and Houston, so I will be a Boston fan for that. Because, you know, Houston, we all know the the little bit of history they've had um, over there in Houston with, you know, cheating and stuff. And we won't let them let let them live that down. So, yeah, go Boston, the ALCS. And it's going to be an awesome rest of the postseason. Is it, it is October, and October is insane. Baseball playoffs, I love them. I love them so much. Okay, for real this time, guys. Thanks for hanging out. With that, I am Nick. And I'm Josh. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.